Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 128 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with me Amy, and she is going to be sharing her story. We call them butterfly stories in the Flying Free Sisterhood group, but her story of going through an emotional and spiritually abusive relationship and how she got out. And hopefully we can learn some things through her experience. So welcome, Amy. Thank you so much, Natalie, for having me. Um, I am so excited to tell my story. Your um, ministry has been one of the key ones that helped me get out. So it's nice to be able to give back. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. Why don't you start by telling us how you met your husband and if you remembered noticing any red flags? I know a lot of us didn't know what red flags were back then, but was there anything that you noticed that kind of was off or that was like, made you think there could be problems up ahead? <laughs> um, so let I want to talk about that first. Like, you know, I didn't know. And I think ignorance about the whole uh, behavior patterns probably is so negative for women. My conscience, my, my idea of domestic abuse was informed by Hollywood. You know, he comes home drunk, beats her up in the kitchen. She has to go to the hospital, right? So it took me so long, even when I was told I was being abused, to recognize, oh my gosh, you know, that was abuse. Yeah. So when I met him, I did not have the clue about red flags or that that was even part of it. Um, I met him at graduate school and he was the president of our graduate student association. Everybody liked him. He was everybody's friend. He was fun to be with. And so, you know, you get attracted to that kind of personality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was things that as time went on, I'm like, wow, this doesn't feel normal. But, but initially not a clue, not a clue. Yeah. So what were, so how long did you date and when did you get married then? Right. So he, um, so I was not, I was raised Christian, but not living Christian. Okay. And so we met my first week in graduate school. He'd been there already and we were dating within that first week. Um, our relationship became sexual immediately. Okay. He pushed for it, pushed, pushed. Um, one of his favorite stories was to tell everyone that I asked him out and that I was the aggressive one. And I'm always like, no. <laughs> and to this day, that's what he tells people. And there's something about his image that he wants everyone to know that I pursued him. I chased him. I was the, and I'm like, no, none of that was true. So I actually ended up pregnant and went home from grad school and did not want to marry him. Um, You know, my parents were believers. And so, you know, bless my dad's heart who's passed away. And now my mom is mad. I'm going to have a conversation when she goes to heaven. Right. (laughs) But she, um, he was like, well, you're burning with lust. You know, that passage, you know, you're burning with lust. You have to get married. I'm like, but dad, I don't want to marry him. He's like, no, you have to. And, you know, you're a young woman and you think I've already screwed everything up. So yeah. I better do the right thing now. Right. So I married him. And um, right away, he was very good. Like, first of all, he never told me that he had already gotten a girl pregnant and that anything had happened before. He'd done this before. 
but I was not given any of that information. If I asked him about what happened before, he'd get angry and like, you're so insecure, you know, stop worrying about the past. You know, I'm here now. So I was never allowed to find out. So we'd been married four or five years before I even found that information out. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, totally lied about it, covered it up. Um, so, you know, I didn't even have all the full information because I would have totally not done it. But yeah. anyway, um, so almost like the week after we got married, um, he had his parents pay, because we were dirt poor. He had his parents pay for him to go to some friends' weddings. And I, you know, pregnant, just married. I was like, don't, don't go, please don't go, please, begged him you know, why are you being so dramatic? Don't, you know, it's just a weekend away, you know? And so off he went. I cried the whole time he's gone. That was back before cell phones and, you know, internet and everything. So I think he called me once and, you know, put me down that I was upset. When he got back, you know, I was ridiculous. I was, you know, overreacting. So that was the beginning of my feelings never counted. They were always ridiculous. What he saw, how he felt were the only things that mattered. Um, But, you know, you don't know it. You're just like, oh, you know, I am female. I am overreacting. I did get really upset over something that, you know, was a three-day weekend away. But now when I can look back, I'm like, oh, that was the beginning, you know. Yes. Anything. I was not his equal. I was not even a person, I don't think, most of the time. So. Yes. Okay. So how did you... How did you cope? And you ended up having a lot of kids too. That was just yes, the first I, of many. Right. I had her. Um, I did try to leave him at about four years of marriage when I found out he'd done it all before and there was all that I felt betrayed and so forth. And so I did try to leave him and um, ended up going back. And when I came back, he told me if I ever tried to do it again, he would make sure I never saw my daughter again oh, and then wow. proceeded to have sex on me. So I, at the time, I was like, um, you know, you don't realize you're being threatened and bullied. You think, oh, he's just being insecure. You make up excuses in your mind. Yeah. Why they're being that they're, they have an anger problem. They have a sex problem. They're really insecure because that's what they tell you. Oh, you don't understand me. You know, if you just met my needs. And so you're a kind hearted person and you're loving. So you're like, oh, I need to be a better wife. I need to do these things better. Right. So I stayed probably out of fear, not really recognizing it as fear then. Um, And so coping strategies, (laughs) um, a lot of avoidance. Like I would try to avoid, like you're tending to his feelings, right? So you're avoiding conversations, you're avoiding arguments, you're avoiding getting undressed in your own bedroom because he's slurping over you and demanding sex all the time, right? You're avoiding you're avoiding him. Like when he'd go away on, on, on work trips, I'd be like, Phew, you know, relieved, but you're not, I, I didn't put it all together. It took me what, 29 years to finally get to my end where he wore me down. Yeah. Did so, you um, ever, did you, a, a lot of Christian women will spiritualize the abuse to kind of, to like put a spiritual spin on it so that they feel better about it. Like, well, God wants me to do this or I'm because I'm suffering for God. I'm, I'm going to get extra brownie points in heaven or I don't know what did, did right. you do any of that? Absolutely. So, you know, being raised Christian, not living Christian, going through all that, you know, my heart got turned back to God. Like I wanted to live for him. And so 
Um, I was basically living with that unsaved man. So you read all those scriptures about winning him over without the word, right? You're supposed to shut your mouth and just do what you're supposed to do. So I was darn good at that, like really good at it because the other coping mechanism I'd say would be over-functioning because he made me 100% responsible for everything in the relationship, everything in the family, everything in the home, all the children, everything. So you work because you have this idea that he plants in you. If you would just do better, if you would achieve this, then everything would be good between us. You know, don't complain, you know, all these things. One of the things he loved to do, I'm not a morning person anyways, but when you're raising that many children, I like to joke that I had 20 years of sleep deprivation, right? Yeah. And so I couldn't, like, I'd finally get to sleep at 4 a.m. getting the baby down, right? And he thought that I should be up at 5 a.m. with him because he was an early riser. So he'd always put me down and belittle me about that. And I'd be like, are you kidding me? I can't, my best sleep is from six to eight, which is sometimes the only sleep I would get at night, right? And he'd be like, well, the kids would be better off if I got them up at 5 a.m. And then you got up at six and they'd be all ready to go. And I'd be like, "I, I can't do that. So it was an ongoing thing of pressure that I wasn't enough all the time. So spiritualizing it, you know, you love God and you're trying to serve him with your whole heart. And so you're reading your scripture and, you know, I have the stacks of marriage books next to my bed, right? Mm. Um, Probably the only one that I didn't adopt fully was the pearls because I'm like, I am not a Jezebel. I'm not taking that. You know, if I've been home all day, he shouldn't sit down on the couch like he used to and not help out. So I didn't totally swallow that entire thing, but I was in the early homeschooling movement the gentle spirit member movement where you were supposed to home birth, home garden, home school, home, everything, right. And do it really well. And so spiritualization, I think was like, okay, I'm supposed to submit, right. He's not saved. I'm supposed to win him over without the word. So when I bring up problems and he gets upset and we have these hour long circular conversations, it's my fault because I opened my mouth. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lot and the church teachings, and even the homeschooling movement during those years, I think was very you know, women are only in the home, you don't have a say, so if he says it, it goes, you know. So, yes, very spiritualized, right? Okay, so at what point did you start? Did it start? Did you start waking up and realizing, you know, what this is actually abusive, or did you ever hear that term abuse and start thinking that it might apply to your particular relationship? No. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay. What what had to happen. So 10 years before I started to know what was going on, I started having physical symptoms. Okay. I am a pretty strong, healthy person, but I started having tremors, um, nightmares. Like I just would fly off the handle of the kids. I just started. And so I was going to doctors, endocrinologists, what's wrong with me. Right. Yeah. And all my medical tests would come back fine. And so there was physical debilitation starting 10 years and it took me 10 years. Now it took me 10 years yeah. to absolutely deteriorate so bad to the point we'd been married 29 years that that last summer I was so depressed and I was like, I, I'm the problem. I need to get rid of the problem. I was ready to kill myself. Yeah. Yes. Gosh, I hear that so much. I hear that so much. It's awful. They bring you to that point and you're like, I'm the problem. Yeah. So I, this is harming my children. But then there was some little flicker in me that said, 
if I'm not here, what will happen to the children? Right. He didn't parent. He didn't think about them. He didn't like plan for them, take care of nothing. He didn't educate nothing. So I thought that flicker, I'm like, I can't do this. I need to get help. So right then, because of what kind of churches we were going to, I'm like, I'm not going to the church. No way. Uh Uh-uh. So I looked up on focus on the family, you know, crying, I'm going to find help. Um, And they had someone listed in my area that was licensed professional and a woman. And those were the things I wanted. Um, I made an appointment to go see her bless her heart. She was the godsend. Um, I walk in, you know, and she's like, well, tell me why you're here. And I'm like, I can't cope with my life. It's, you know, I'm messing up everything. That's where we started. So she listened to me for a while. And then there was a pause, you know, and all the pouring out. And she says, um, Amy, you, you know, you're being abused, right? And so I'm like, in shock. I'm in shock, Natalie, um, because I'm like, no, he just has an anger problem. He has a sex problem. I'm not being, this isn't abuse. I was so far gone. And in my head, I'm thinking, she's crazy. I'm not coming back, right? This is where I was at. So I left. But the person I am, I went home. I'm like, okay, I'm going to see what what really she's saying. What does domestic abuse look like? So I started online secretly. He left for a trip. So I was like secretly looking it up. And I started a list, you know, what the patterns of behaviors were. And the shock was like, I could check off every single one that he had done to me over and over and over again. And I sat there ill, like I got physically ill, made another appointment to go back to the counselor. (laughs) When I went back, I'm like, you're right. What, what do we do now? And so that, and so that day, actually, she sent me to the police because I said, I don't want to, I don't want him in the house. I don't want to see him. I, I, I don't want him. And she's like, you got to go to the police because he was a he he put his fist through doors before he had been violent with me and held me down. He tried to choke me. There's things he had done that, of course, I just said were anger. Right. And so she wanted me to go to the police to get some advice about how to safe safeguard myself and my kids, because I was going to say you need to leave. That was a weird experience. But um, within two weeks of starting counseling, um, the family always went away on Labor Day weekend. And the night before we left, I went to him. I said, the kids and I are going to go camping, but you're not coming and you're going to be moved out by the time we get back. So these are the two things he said. Well, how did how did we get here? And then he switched instantly and started crying. He says, are you going to take my kids away from me? Wow. So oh my gosh. Talk. There are people that know the story now and are shocked that he just moved out. But um I think I caught him off guard. You know, he still thought he had control. So yeah, that's, that's how I found out. That's how I started getting out. Um, you know, by the time I got to that point and I started to, it all, all clicked. I was, I was like, this all makes sense now. It all finally makes sense. Yeah. It's once you hear the truth, the pieces all come, come together. And then it's just a matter of, I think that's what makes us feel so sick is that now that we're faced with the truth, we're also faced with this decision that we have to make. What are we going to do with the truth? And that's very, very frightening. It was frightening. What's my, what now? You know, I can remember driving home from one of the first couple sessions and I'm like, 
I, I mean, I, I don't know what my problem was. I was like, fine, God, now I'm going to be the divorced mother of nine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Right. Just your dream come true, right? Whatever since you were a kid. <laughs> what I was working for, you know? So, <laughs> um, yeah. And that terrified me. Like, what, what am I going to do? I still have five minor children. How am I going to take care of myself and them? I haven't worked in 30 years. You know, all of that went through my mind. So what did you do? What happened next? <laughs> um, well, so I got advice right away, both from my counselor, my aunt had been through a very bad divorce and I'm like, what do I do with him? You know, he's out of the house, but here I have these little kids. I had one daughter who has been diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. We now know in retrospect, a lot of that was caused because of the things going on in the home. But she was like 11. I thought, oh gosh, she needs her dad. You know, she's so, she'll feel terrible. So they recommended I still let him come. So we homeschooled Monday through Thursdays. So I let him come Friday and I'd leave the house. I still did Sunday dinners because I was that good Christian wife, right? Wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and he had freedom to call them up and ask them to go. I, I initially said, look, I've been in the middle making your relationships happen with kids. I'm out. It's up to yeah. you now. And I told the kids, I said, you know, mom's going to be a better mom without him around. Um, I still had quite a few adult children living in the house. So that first year was really rough. Um, I didn't file for divorce. I don't believe in divorce, right? God hates divorce. You get that drilled into you. So I was like, well, maybe we can just live this way, live separate and him just stay away and just yeah. still see the kids until I get them grown, right? Yeah, because God is fine with abuse and he's just fine with separation forever and ever and ever. But divorce, no, no. that's where he draws the line. <laughs> right, exactly. But things got better at home. We had peace at home. Um, some of my adult kids would be like, mom, you're so better now because, you know, I, now I knew I had complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. So I'd fly off the handle at them at stupid things. And so they're like, mom, you're so much better now. We trust you. We can talk to you. Yeah. It's going yeah. so well that worked for three years. Okay. And then, and then the rest of the story um, is that my second son always uh, struggled with a lot of things, but he was struggling because he was 24, living in my house, still had a long-term girlfriend, was working like part-time jobs. And that spring, I said, "You're 24, get out of my house." I mean, I almost said it that way. I'm like, "Get a full-time job, get insurance, ask her to marry you, move on." He did not like change ever, so I think he was struggling. And mm -hmm. I pieced this together later because at the time you don't know what's going on. But that July. On a certain day, he went and had lunch with his father. And from that moment on, my son, who'd been loving and kind, and probably I leaned on too much, flipped. I became an unforgiving person. You know, I should just let it go after all this time. And he started talking to me this close to my face, like his father used to, and screaming at me in my face. And when I tried to deal with it, he would just tell his brothers and sisters that I was crazy and unforgiving. I found out later he was starting to get all of them um, together behind my back over at his brother's house and they were airing their grievances. He was pushing a narrative about me that dad was the victim. So he had been handed a lens of how to view me right from his dad. And, you know, they grew up in that. 
They grew up with the eyeball rolling about mom. There she goes again. She's having one of her episodes, right? Yeah. So it was, they had been groomed all their life and I didn't know it. They didn't know it. And so he hands him this lens about he's, you know, been the victim and that she won't forgive me. And I've apologized, which actually was never true. (laughs) Um, And so he began with his father's help and some other people in the Christian community that we are part of a smear campaign. He even went to my own mother who knows me really well. And he's like, you know, I'm doing God's work. You have to join us. And she's like, you shut your mouth. You're going to hurt so many people, but he didn't. Mm. So they were doing this while I was still shopping for most of them, you know, spending tons of money, tons of time, still home schooling, still doing, putting on Christmas for them, for goodness sakes. I mean, you have family, you know, the labors that you do to just make everything work. So uh, Christmas night, I was, so I finally had to ask him to move out because he was still at home. I'm like, you've got to move out. I've lived with one abusive man. I can't do this. So he moved out. And of course I was the crazy one. He went to the pastor of my church with his father. Uh, We'd been going to a separate church for three years. So my son got his dad and he, my, my ex, my estranged husband, the pastor listened to him. Mm -hmm. Right. And so At the time, I was like, what do I do? You know, I've tried to talk to him myself. I've tried to get other people. I should go to the pastor, right? Because that's step three in Matthew 18, right? Yeah. So (laughs) I go into the pastor's office not knowing he had already been groomed. And I sat there and he told me how I, this was what he said to me, Natalie. He said, you know, in a family, there is like a, a, a wagon wheel and you are the center of all the spokes and you're not being forgiving, So if you work on being forgiveness, the rest of your family will be okay. So he blamed me. Yeah. Wow. So the, the problem is not the problem. The problem is that you're not overlooking the problem. You need to overlook the problem and then, then it's okay. And get over it. And get over it. Um, so by Christmas night, um, so many other things happened. I literally knew because I, Long story, but the first counselor, my oldest daughter wanted to go to counseling. And I couldn't afford both. So I sent her and I stopped going. Well, by that time, I was, my mental health was going downhill. I was so in distress, full triggered, full triggers of CPTSD. Mm-hmm. So the next morning after Christmas, I called my mom and said, mom, I need help now. I need help today. I am going to lose my mind. I'm, I'm not doing well. So we immediately got me in to see a doctor who got me on meds immediately got me to see the counselor in his office. She saved my life that day, like saved my life. Mm. And so I started treatment. I was doing good, but the stuff was still going on with my son. And two weeks later, they decided with the uh, advice of two different pastors that they should do an intervention. So seven of my children one night, because he had come over that morning, my ex, well, he was my ex at the time, but he'd come over that morning and just said things, you know, push your buttons and I'd lost it. So they decided that was the time seven of my kids came into my house, including the son that was not allowed in my home without my permission. And so I told them I would listen. So I have three big sons. They're all over six foot. Okay. One of them was 17 at the time. My son had coached them what to say and do. They came into my room, shut the door. My youngest son, who's 6'5", stood in front of the door. My other two sons stood shoulder to shoulder in front of me and would not let me leave. 
because I said, I don't want, you know, this son here. He's got to leave. I will listen to what the rest of you say, but he has to leave. They're like, no, I had no rights. I had to sit there and take it. They were going to tell me things the way they were. And these are the things I said. We demand that you get treatment. I said, I'm already getting treatment. We demand you put on medicine. I said, I'm already on medicine. They said, you have to do things the way we say it or you're dangerous and we're all moving out. And so here's one thing I remember clearly. (laughs) I picked up my Bible and I gave it to my son. And I said, son, show me in here that what you're doing right now is according to what God would have you do. He handed the Bible back to me and he goes, love keeps no record of wrongs. Okay, so where I was at then, you know, you're in you're in a total distress state. I could, but I'm like, think about that now. What was he doing? <laughs> yeah. He was keeping records of whatever imagined and probably some real wrongs that he felt I had done to him. And so, um, you know, I it, they did that for an hour and a half until oh I was crumbling on the floor, crying. They left me. Um, I immediately called my mom. I made it through the night somehow, but I knew I was like, I got to go to the hospital, mom. Like I, I'm in such a bad way. I need to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital for like, you know, you go there and they're like, well, you can check yourself in and check yourself out. That is not true. Don't believe them. Don't go to the hospital, go to the crisis center. If you're having stuff like that, because in the hospital and the behavioral mental health units, they basically make you a prisoner and it creates worse situations for you. So I was traumatized and I was re-traumatized. While I was gone, um, two things really good happened. It became clear that my my soon-to-be ex was trying to get me committed so that I would lose all of my children because he kept calling the doctor and the hospital to try to give evidence that I was crazy. And I had told my physician in the hospital, he's estranged. I don't want him involved in my case at all. Thankfully, she listened to me. She examined me for over two and a half hours. And she said, Amy, you have complex PTSD and your entire family is messed up and everyone needs help. That diagnosis probably saved me through the rest of the time that I had to go through because I had to go through parental alienation of the worst kind. I had to go through a messy divorce and so forth, but I had that diagnosis. So I knew that I wasn't crazy. It, it's something that had been done to me. Right. That was huge. If you're a woman of faith in a confusing and painful marriage who feels like you're just a shadow of the woman you could be, I'd like to help you change that. Five years ago, I developed a comprehensive program that has helped hundreds of Christian women wake up to their reality and live powerfully within it as the adult women God created them to be. The Flying Free program uses transformational coaching, workshops, classes, and a close-knit community of women to support you on your journey. We will help you identify the problems and figure out what you can and can't do so that you can be empowered to move forward into the life you were meant to live. Imagine a deep dish apple pie with caramel, walnuts, and vanilla ice cream on top. Members have said that this podcast is like a little taste of the vanilla ice cream, but the Flying Free program is the whole delicious slice of pie in all its glory. You'll never know what you're missing until you can bite into the whole thing. You can get all the details, including reviews, facts, and everything that comes with the program by going to joinflyingfree.com. I'll see you on the inside.
The other thing that happened is that um, all of my adult children moved out and wouldn't tell me where they were. <laughs> Did you like that? I'm thinking, gosh, I'd be so happy. They're all gone. Peace. How did you feel about that? Terrible because I, you know, you're the problem. Yeah. You're the problem. So I'm still trying to recover from this traumatic event. And I was like texting myself, I'm like, can we please get together in a neutral spot with counselors and start working on what the problems are? I really want to work on whatever this problem is. Natalie, my nightmare went from bad to worse at that point, but it's a good story at the end. <laughs> what? What happened at the end? At the end, I'm out. I'm free. I go to sleep safe. I wake up safe. <laughs> Those are the good things, right? How long ago, just to give us a time frame, like how far out are you? When was your divorce finalized? So my divorce wasn't finalized till two, two years ago. He moved okay. out seven years ago. Okay. So three years of relative peace and my children and I building relationships. It was a year of total hell. And then another year of him prolonging the divorce and these last two years, totally free, except, you know, child visitation. So, okay. Yeah. Do you, did they, did he succeed in getting your kids away from you? He got seven of them. Um, because once that all happened, and even though I was like, please, let's all go to therapy, let's get help. Um, most of them immediately shut me off. Like one daughter, I, two of my daughters, I haven't heard their voice in three years. Oh, they, they won't so talk to me. Won't Gosh, respond. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And okay. So that Christmas, I actually emailed you and I'm like, cause you were having something and I can't remember, but your email was just like, I'm so sorry. I can't tell you how much those words, just somebody saying, Hey, I feel your pain. Mm -hmm. That was huge to me. That was huge to me. So anyways, just a couple other little details. They got through the church, total conflict of interest. This, um, this family counselor from the church who was, was a master's, she was licensed. Anyways, she um, brought me in two days after I got out of the hospital. I mean, I still had my own counselor and she made me sign release forms. That pastor at that church that had already victimized me, he showed up and I'd never asked him to be there. And I told her outright, I don't feel comfortable with him here. I want him to leave three times. She said, oh, no, no, he's part of this. She forced me to sit there and have him in the meeting. Yeah, that that's a whole nother story. But um, she told me, like, I went to her five times because she promised we were going to have family counseling and get my kids in. But what she was doing is she was mining me for information. And she was talking to all my um, four of my adult kids. And she asked my ex, my husband, to come in against my permission, against my will. And then one, one of the last sessions I had with her is she said, you need to suck it up. If you have problems with your children, you shut your mouth and you go to your room and you write in your journal. And I'm going, this isn't how my other counselor treats me. This is oh my word. How can that even be legal for someone to a counselor to treat a client like that? That's unbelievable. Right. And then she told me she was seeing my ex-husband, my husband, and she said that I needed to learn to parent with him. Yeah. So eventually I filed complaints against her that took two years before the state. What they finally did is they, they reprimanded her. Cause of course she was pretty much some personality disorder herself. Yeah. <laughs> completely illegal, completely inappropriate. So they did send her a warning letter. I actually wanted her license taken away. Cause if she did it to me, she probably did it to yes. other people. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So I had that going on too. Like literally it was this minefield. 
And so what finally triggered me to, to go into divorce is he was getting bolder and bolder because he'd gotten all these kids on his side, right? And he, he'd been able to convince all these people how he was victimized and gotten all these pastors, right? So he came to my house in June of that year, which was 2018. And he stood out on our back porch and he started pounding his fist on the on the railing and screaming at me saying he had rights to the girls because I still had two girls at home, rights to the house and he was going to get them. And I'm like, wow. So I talked to my counselor. I'm like, I, I got to go through divorce to protect me and the girls. I, I just have to. He's starting to do this. And a week later, Natalie, when I gave him the because I wanted to go through mediation. We didn't have that many assets. We just had the two kids. We had like two cars and a house. That's all we owned. And I'm like, this could be mediated. We'll only spend about maybe $2,500. He'll be reasonable, right? Because I'm oh still not gosh. putting it all together. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> so I give him the name of the mediator who happened to be a woman. And he goes to me, why are we doing this now? I said, because you threatened me a week ago. He, and he looks me in the eye, Natalie, and he goes, Amy, that never happened. Oh and I my him, word. I said to him, I said, here's why we're at the place we're at. I said, because 98% of what you do to me never happened. And I remember all of it. Yeah. That is gaslighting, like quintessential gaslighting. It makes you crazy. Totally. So we went to mediation. He undermined all that. But his crowning moment, I, t I tell people, you know, in that movie, the, the Lord of the Rings, where Gollum convinces Frodo, that Sam has been stealing the food and yeah. Frodo says, go away, Sam. And Gollum turns around with that smile. Yep. Okay. That is exactly the face that he had at mediation wow. when he started demanding that the two girls would have to live with him 50% of the time. And I'm like, why would you do that? And he gets that smile on and he goes, because I have seven children that say you're a terrible mother. It was his crowning <sighs> achievement. Oh my gosh. I laugh now because I'm like, what is wrong with you? Right. Yeah. Undermine mediation. So I had no choice to file for divorce. The minute I filed for divorce, he evaded being served. He opened up a secret bank account and started siphoning money out of our joint accounts. Mm -hmm. He, um, behind my back signed for my son who was on his side's apartment, a $16,000 liability, but wouldn't give one of the girls still living with me money to get her, her dental work done. Um, thing after thing after thing like I had read on your site so many of these classic things and I'm sitting there in astonishment saying he's doing all of them yeah <laughs> yep so and he dragged it out he lied in court documents he um I tried to get an assessment so my daughters could have a voice and just be able to say this is what I want he he under any female somehow he's able to undermine their ability to reason and think he's good at it he's a skilled liar and so we went through a year of that. Um, there was a lot of mitigated damage control. Um, I finally got it where uh, they could stay with me the majority of the time. And we had a parental plan that he, you know, he, they had to go like every other weekend to his house. And I was like, you, you helped me a lot with that. You're like, you know, they don't have to live full time with him. They don't have to live. And it really, I was like, okay, you know, we can live with this. We can function um, and we'll do that. So yeah, we got through it. I so how you, old is your, how old is your youngest right now? She's 15. So she's got okay. in, in, in the state, I, I live in Idaho. The state of Idaho 
does not give any children any kind of say so over their lives until they are 18. So that was one of the negotiations I did. I wanted them to be at will. Um, he agreed to them being 17. So she's got a, like a year and a half until okay. she can say, yay or nay, I want to go with you. And then, and right now, who who's living with you now? Just the two youngest. Um, my 18-year-old, she's graduating this next month. Um, okay. She's getting on her feet. She's the one with anxiety. So she's, she's so much healthier now. Good. Um, and my youngest is doing well. And she's got a really good counselor that helps her through having to be at his place because he's a nightmare still. Right. Right. Yeah. They don't change. <laughs> it's not like what, what blows me away is how the system, the whole entire system is set up to accommodate these kinds of people, these dysfunctional people. And it does not just ruin the partner. It ruins the lives of, cause even those older kids who have turned on you, their lives have been like, they're dysfunctional now because the system enabled their dad instead of bringing out the truth, instead of like show reveal, it's kind of like someone who's, Oh, who's, uh, you know, a thief being able to get away with it. Well, of course, what are they going to do? More people are going to come and go, Hey, I want to do that too. It pays to be a thief. Right. The system has to start standing up against these kinds of dysfunctional people that are ruining people's lives. But it's not that way yet. So in, in the meantime, the only recourse that we have is to get ourselves out and to, you're yes. right, do damage control. And that's yeah. all we can do. And then hope that those older kids will someday get the therapy that they need and the healing they need right. in their well, life's journey. A couple of things that I agree with you. I think um, initially I got more help outside of the church, outside of the household of faith than I did within. I mean, I'm slow, like... You know, I watched tons of Patrick Doyle videos. I I listened to you. I did so many of that. I did start getting help within the household of faith. But um, the world's better at that. But when you get to family court, it's like they are light years behind where they need to be to understand what's going on. Yes. Yep, they are. They are. It's so sad. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so I I was going to say, do you have any regrets? But I'm guessing that you don't. Regrets well, as know, far as getting out. Regrets like you wish you'd never met him. You wish you'd never. Yeah. Him. You wish. You'd, but but in terms of getting out, no, not not one. Right. Not one. I mean, I I feel bad that there's fallout. There's fallout. Your kids end up being kind of like collateral damage. You know, my adult kids. I have two of them who, after three years, one we've been going to counseling. We're slowly starting to get better, and. And my son, he's a guy. Guys are different. <laughs> We're slowly starting to just be nice, you know, and, yeah. and, but it's a long road. It's going to be a long road for them to ever be able to piece together the truth because, um, you know, you've got that group think going on. You've got that reinforcement from the church, um, the churches we went to. So I, I know some of your story about that, but ours were about federal headship. So you're, you're nothing if you're married. Boom. Yeah, And if you, if you divorce, you have committed the mortal sin. In fact, I had one son tell me that I was married eternally to his father. I'm like, okay, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. No. So hey, if hard. you're in, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, oh. if you're in Idaho, do you, are what church did you, you guys weren't part of Doug Wilson's church, were you? Oh, that whole denomination. Yes. So you were. beware. Yeah. Beware. Okay. I know horror stories from other women. Yeah. My, yeah. my ex-husband's 
sister and husband are were members of his church for years and worked in that whole worked for that business business homeschooling business that was a branch of the church. So um, that was so I've got weird connections there too. I've been out there and yeah, yeah. Those stories are for another day. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, and they hand out. I just want you to know they hand out to couples love and respect. They hand that book out yeah. if they come to them from premarital counseling. Yeah. 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 I got a, a very interesting email when I, um, when I ended up leaving my relationship and from the, my in-laws telling yeah, me sure about all the, all the, all the reasons why I was a bad person. So, right. I mean, and they did it in a very loving way, you know, loving in quotes, it was very loving and kind and spiritual and holy and everything, but yeah, I haven't talked to them. They haven't talked to me since. So. Right. So because I went through so much grief of the parental alienation and they took my grandkids away too. Um, no. So when, um, at one point the son that had kind of been the spearhead behind it, he told me that I was an idolater because I loved my children more than God. And I looked at him, I said, you have got to be kidding me, son. I said, you're not a parent. I said to lose a child at any stage in life in whatever fashion breaks a mom's heart. But I was, yep. I was labeled an idolater. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you awesome. went through, you went through severe abuse of every kind, including yeah. spiritual abuse. And yes. I think the spiritual abuse is the worst because it ties God in with just satanic activity. Honestly, I actually emailed you once. You helped me a lot with that, but you get where you feel like God, because you're pleading with God all those years to fix your husband, right? And your situation. And you, I, I did a lot of fawning with my husband. Like, please listen to me. Let's try yeah. to fix this, right? So you feel like that with God. And so I went through some serious dark waters there of who really is God? Yep. Who is he to me? And how could a loving heavenly father stand there while this guy was doing this stuff to me? I have had a lot of roads to go through with that and, um, and still working on it. But it's like I might tell my daughter, you know, the days I'm really angry with God and I'm telling him so, at least I'm still talking to him. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I, you know, I had to, I had to go through the same thing. I'm still working through some things. You know, I think it's going to be a process to heal from all of this, but mm -hmm. I had to go from thinking of God. I, I mean, re I really do think that a lot of us viewed God as abusive. Yes. And we associated abuse with love. So even though something felt a little bit strange about it, it that's all we knew. Yes. And so we just, and so to separate all of that out from God, God's not like that. He's not condoning any of that. Um, okay. So let's close this by, I know that you've been part of my group flying, yes. the flying free sisterhood. Is there, how was the group, how did the group help you as far as your healing? And what would you say to someone who's maybe thinking about joining the group as far as how it might be able to help them? Well, one, like the one piece of advice is get out, like, especially if you've been in a Christian conservative lifestyle lane for any amount of time, I would really encourage women to get help outside, get help outside. You may lose all that community, which I did. And that's scary, but, but you need help from outside. Somebody who can be objective for you and is informed on trauma and is informed on this type of covert domestic abuse. So, because you need so much to be believed 
and yeah. so much to be validated. So number one, I'd say for them to get out. So your group, your ministry, your articles, your your classes. Um, when I first signed up, you sent out that ebook that was a workbook. It was so foreign to me, but I looked at that as that first step of trying to get my brain rewired to not be in that terrible place anymore. It was really effective because you'd have like a, a scripture and then you'd have us say how we were feeling that day. And then like, you know, you'd yeah. have some, it was really, really good. And so just um, having that help to be rewired because you have to deprogram. You literally have to deprogram your mind and that is work and it's hard work, but it's possible to be um, able to get out of that. Yeah. So yeah, number one, you need something outside and you need something that is going to help you be believed, feel validated, be supported. I mean, that's the one thing I know that, I mean, I think I've emailed you twice and you've always emailed me back and it's just, you. it's a short sentence. Like when I was struggling with God, you said, okay, go read the Psalms and John. I'm like, oh, oh, I can do that. You gave me something I could do. That was simple because you, it's hard. Some days surviving, some days surviving is all you can do. Yeah but it's a good day that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Those two things. That's funny. Cause that you mentioned those little journal things. That was like the very beginning when I first started trying to think what would, what has helped me? What could I do to help other women? That was kind of like the, the infant of my program when it was just a tiny little baby, it was expanded so much more than that, but you've been around for a long time. Well, three, three years, <laughs> three years. Okay. Wow. Sure. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate. Oh, go ahead. I haven't had as much time as others to interact with like the, the online group. I would have liked that, but God did provide for me in-person stuff. Nice. And that's been really helpful. Yeah. Good. Good. I think that's always the best if you can get it. Not yeah. everyone can get that, but that's amazing. Yeah. I am so grateful for your willingness to come and share your story. That's a really painful story to tell yeah. for a mom with all that kid stuff. That's yeah. like agonizing. I tell people I survived what he did to me. Like, you you know, there's a certain thing you survive, but what the thing happened with my kids that broke me yes. and it's God having to piece the pieces back together. And the thing that comforts me a lot, I never thought of it before I started reading through John so much, but Jesus went to heaven with scars, right? He comes back and he says, here, touch the whole, right? He went to heaven with scars. So why did I think that I wasn't going to have scars and wounds that have been healed over, you know? Right. And and so that's been a comfort to me. He knows exactly what that feels like. Right. And I don't, I don't know how God is going to redeem all of this or what right. beautiful things he's going to bring of it. Cause many of us haven't seen a lot of that. We've seen little bits, we've seen little glimpses of it. But I do believe that if God is love, which he says he is, and if he is powerful, that he will. He must right. redeem this now, for all of us, even for yes. our abusers, even for our children who have rejected us and done horrible things to us, because that's who God is. He is way bigger than what we've been taught. It's so interesting because we've been taught all oh, the glory of God and the sovereignty of God and all this stuff. And what they're actually teaching is a very small, petty, diabolical little Roman God, right? With a small G, right? <laughs> Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, I don't think I want, I don't, I don't believe in that yeah. God anymore. My God is right. so much bigger than that. Cause my God wins in the end. Right. He wins everything. Right. He wins all of it, not right. just the little scraps and the crumbs of it. He wins 
everything. And you are part of that. And all of the women that are listening are part of that. It's a battle. It's like an epic battle, like Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia. This is an epic battle of good and evil. And we have to fight our little battles, our little skirmishes on our fronts, but keep fighting. Thank you so much for that. And I just, you know, just really, that's really come home to me how much a spiritual battle this is because the evil, the deceit and the the lying and the ability to deceive even the elect, I think is so great in my situation. Yep. And when, when you're at your worst, why are you being the one having to go through this, right? A lot of it is because Christ is in you. And so yes. even though you don't feel like it, you don't see it. The only reason is because it's the spiritual battle. And if some, you know, woman who's struggling could just hold on to that. Okay. What happens to your, even my children? Like I haven't seen a whole lot of fallout for them, but I know that God's faithful to them. So you see them, it seems like their lives are going on fine. And you're the one still going to counseling and having to work on everything. Right. But, but that's because it's that spiritual battle. We still have Jesus in us. Yes. And I think they look fine on the outside. Cause that's, again, there's a deception there. They're not, yeah. they're not really fine. They're not fine right. at all. Right. And that'll finally come to pass. So, yeah. Yeah. And I've gone from the hurt that they cut, like the terrible hurt to compassion and just praying for them differently. Like, Lord, rescue them. You rescued me. It took a long time. Right. And they're my stubborn children because they follow me. So rescue them too. And yes. so, yeah. Amen. Yep. Well, thank thanks you, again. Yeah, this has been fun. And thank you to all of you guys who are listening. If you wouldn't mind doing me a favor and heading over to Apple iTunes and leaving, if you haven't already left a rating and a review, we would be, those of us who produce this podcast would be so grateful. We love to go read those and they also help other people find this, this podcast. So thanks again for listening. And until next time, fly free.